Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Today is Entertech COO Karina Mickley. Karina is a remote COO, a former fractional one, and a workflow consultant located in New York City. She excels at optimizing systems and focusing teams, loves to help companies and teams run efficiently and scale smartly, and is currently doing all of this and more for Entertech Search Partners. While not working, Karina is either reading, automating since it's fun for her, or sometimes doing audio improv because Zoom improv or Zoom prov is not that fun after a while. Karina, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you for having me. All right. So we are 230-ish episodes into the Second in Command podcast, and no one has had improv down on their bio. And I don't think I've even had a COO who's been a teacher before. And you mentioned that to me in kind of briefly. But let's let's start off with the improv first, because I think it's just the most fun. And then we'll get back into some of your career stuff. So how did you get into improv? What is improv? Why did you fall so deep into it? So um, about, I probably like now, it's like three and a half, four years ago, I was reading this book called Rest. Um, it's on my shelf. It's uh, Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less by Alex Sojong Kim Peng. Okay. Um, and, you know, like I was working long hours. This was pre-COVID, but, you know, I was already working from home. And back then I was still consulting. So I was juggling, I don't know how many clients. And I desperately needed a hobby because all I was doing was like work or sleep and eat. And he's got a whole chapter in that book about, you know, finding a hobby that gets you into a flow, like a creative flow and uses different muscles than you do at work. Mm. And so I had finished reading this book on a Sabbath. Um, I was brainstorming with my husband, my son, who was back then still at home and 17, he's now at University of Michigan. Um, you know, snarkily was like, Ma, you don't have any hobbies. All you do is work. And I'm like, no, I read I this, that and the other. Long story short, my husband remembered I had taken um, an improv class at the new school when we first started dating and apparently enjoyed it a lot. And thinking about it, apparently my face lit up and they're like, OK, do this thing. Wow, that's cool. Since I'm lucky to live in New York, I was able to do like a free class at the Magnet Theater on a Sunday, loved it, started taking more classes there and at the pit and all across New York. Um, and I, I discovered and started dramatic improv groups because I'm not funny, but I still love getting up there and just making things up. And for me, the joy of improv is that it was the exact opposite of the rest of my life. Mm. I run I have to pre-plan. I have to be super organized. Like there's always homework. Improv, you literally just show up. There's there's no such a thing as a mistake. Everything is a gift. And you're just, and you have to be in the moment. You can't be checking email. You can't be doing anything. You yeah. literally have to be in the moment, having fun, giving and taking with your partner. And it was amazing. So I did it for... I did it even through the first year of COVID, you know, like I had created a bunch of teams. So I was practically performing every Sunday with one of my teams, mostly dramatic improv, because that's what I enjoy. Um, And then COVID happened. So most of 
improv went on to Zoom because obviously you couldn't do it in person. And at first it was fun because I got to pra- I got to study with um, dramatic improv theaters in California and Chicago, all these things I never would have done because like, this is not what I do professionally. So I'm not going to travel and take off a week or two or a month or two to study. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to do all of this online, but then after a while, like, this is where I am for work. Yeah. And I can't. I cannot check things when I'm sitting in front of here and I'm not like presenting or performing. Um, so after a while it stopped being fun because it was where I do work. Right. I love the whole, like doing something that takes you away from work and challenges another part of your brain. And, and, but I also love that you end up with this amazing energy that you bring back into the rest of your life too, right? You, or you bring back into the workforce. Um, what do you think were some of the skills that you pulled out of doing improv that you carry with you today in the business world? So there's actually been a couple of business books on how improv helps business. And I totally agree with them. Um, I think the biggest is the whole concept of yes. And which Mm. is you never want to negate, um, what your partner gifts you. And that's the way they talk about it. Like everything is a gift. Yeah. Because if you say no or you negate it, you can't go anywhere. You block them. Sure. But if you say yes and, doesn't mean you have to agree totally, but you're collaborating and building something together. And culture-wise and just communication team-wise, it's so much better to do yes and rather than yes but or no. I think so too. I think, I think in terms of, of networking and building relationships with others, um, building kind of not consensus, but more collaboration with other executives, I think it can be really powerful. Um, I just think that I, I really think there is something out of improv that can be brought into the business world for sure. I'm trying to remember the name of the speaker and it's embarrassing that I can't remember her name. She'll kill me if I can't do it. She's got a V as a first name and a V as a last name, Victoria Labam. And uh, she studied under Marcel Marceau, who is a famous mime. And she's a speaker, a business speaker, but she has all these incredible hand motions and body movements. And she could literally say nothing and be on stage for an hour and you're blown and you'd learn business lessons from her. Like she's that good. And and I remember seeing that and going, wow, like she's really honed her craft as a speaker. And I think that I think you probably have pulled stuff in. Have you taught improv with any of your teams, with the you know employees, or have you brought it into business that way at all? So we did a team retreat um, back at the end of March, and I actually prepared some like improv games, and everybody like they they told me after the fact they had no idea what to expect, but it was mm. fun, fun, and everyone loved it. Um, I just thought another really good thing improv teaches you is to really listen and be present. Mm-hmm. Because I know, like, I, you know, we all have tendency to, like, be in a hundred things and checking a hundred things. And you can't be a good partner and you can't perform if you're not actually listening. And there's also a concept of callbacks. Because, you, because you're playing off, you're playing off what the other person yes. says, right? Exactly. And you can even bring something back later, which is called a callback. But you have to be paying attention, right? you know, really in the present for any of that to work. I think I think improv is almost something that all business coaches should actually do as well because it would really help them in listening to their clients and weaving a conversation and and not just moving to the oh shit I wasn't really paying attention so I'll ask you some other random question right Yeah 
Do you, um, if you know someone who would be good at this, I would love to have someone come and run a session for us for our COO Alliance and, and run an improv session for all of our COO members. I think that'd be could really, I'll talk to you offline to, um, to ask for an intro. If you know anybody, that could be really cool. Or maybe we'll get you to run a session for us. Yeah. One of my favorite coaches, um, actually does do this, you know, corporate training. So I can definitely make a rec- recommendation. He would that'd do be it way better. <laughs> yes. And I'll introduce you to someone better, right? Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. I want you to walk us through um, a little bit about what you're doing with Entertech right now. And then I want to go back into your kind of journey to, um, to, to what got you to the COO. So tell us, you know, what Entertech is right now. And then I'm going to go backwards and then we'll kind of come back again to Entertech Search. So Entertech Search Partners is a niche recruiting and talent advisory agency. Uh, we work primarily with funded startups in the climate tech space. And we actually have a sister company, uh, Sea Change, that does more of the advisory in the larger companies. Um, and I'm one of the few non-recruiters on the team. So everything non-recruiting falls to me. Uh, I wear many hats in EOS per month. And um, it's great. Like I, uh, the CEO and I have a really great working relationship. We're actually, we just decided we were going to roll out EOS. So I'm right. like you know, like reading and signed up for Basecamp because we're going to do self-implementation. Um, and she and I, are she's the typical visionary. I'm like 90% integrator. Every time I take that test, I'm like 98% integrator. Um, but, you know, like we were basically still, we've come a long way in the year and a half that I was with them. Um, we have, we've doubled the team. We, you know, we still have some scaling Um issues like on the tool side that I'm, you know, building out and working on. Um, you know, the economy's been a little bit challenging, but not as much as you would think, because luckily in our space, there's still a lot of hiring going on, although it's taking a little longer sometimes to close. Um, but yeah, it's a great team. Everyone's very entrepreneurial. Everyone is remote. Um, I, so I had a funny story is that when I joined, everybody was 1099, including like the founders. And back in early 2022, we decided we need to grow up, <laughs> you know, have some like real employees and start like making that transition. So as the integrator slash COO slash only non-recruiter, I was the one who registered us. In New York, Pennsylvania, and California, which I swear are the three hardest states to register totally. an employer. Yeah. I had to send myself an offer letter, which was very amusing. <laughs> so dumb, right? Yeah. It's just, you know, like you do what you got to do. So have you ever worked in the recruiting space before? Do you have any recruiting experience or was this a new industry for you? Um, I did. Like I've done a lot of internal recruiting. I did one stint as an external recruiter, um, very short. So it's not a totally new industry, but it's not one I'm very familiar with. But um, as as they say in the rock in Rocket Fuel, which I reread this weekend, um, a good integrator doesn't have to know the industry. You learn. It's it's more about the people and the resources. But obviously, like I've been, you know, in the year and a half I've been with them, I've picked things up. Um, so yeah, but no, I wasn't I wasn't a recruiter. I, you know, I've never like managed a recruiting business before this. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, by the way. You were one of the proofreaders for some of my um my newest book that's coming out in January called The Second in Command. And um it's just how to unleash the power of a COO. And that was something that I talked about in there as well. Is the COO 
doesn't have to have the real strong functional ability. Yeah. But we have to we have to understand it enough to be able to to not sound like a complete idiot when we're talking to the heads of those areas. But um, so how did you end up there? How did they find you or how did you find them? And, and what do you think the fit was? What did they see in you that, uh, that they liked other than the obvious that you are 98% integrator, right? That you're. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned, I, I had been a workflow consultant and fractional COO and Paige, the CEO, she actually first hired me as a workflow consultant. Uh, she felt they had way too many tools that weren't like communicating with each other, weren't integrated. Um, there was just like chaos. So I came on board first, just in that limited capacity. And, and I rolled out ClickUp and did some integrations and, and automations and whatnot. And I mentioned to her in passing one day, like, by the way, I do fractional COO work. And then within a week or two, she started to refer to me as COO, as her COO. And I'm like, okay, so that happens needing more and more of my time which I was happy to give her and then you know this March I became full-time so um and unlike with some of my other clients like Paige and I really and you know and, and yes it's because of the visionary integrator but more so it's just you know she's happy to she's happy that she has a partner who can just deal with the day-to-day -day stuff she doesn't want to mm -hmm. and you know like I'm I didn't know I wasn't always technical, but I'm fairly technical when it comes to automating and integrating and setting up these things myself. So she's happy to just like hand that off. And I appreciate that because I've had some micromanagers and other, you know, COO, C, uh, CEO fits that did not work that well. Right. Um, and because I had already worked with her for like a year plus and, and we really just knew each other's styles. Know, yeah. Yeah, we just we just work well together. Like she respects what I bring to the table. I respect what she brings to the table. You know, obviously we collaborate a lot of the, of the things, like especially recruiting ops. But um, I trusted, I, I felt comfortable and happy to make this switch for her, which I wouldn't necessarily have done for just any other client. What talk to us about what a workflow consultant does? I mean, I have a vision in my mind of what this is, but can you give us the, the specifics? Because I think there's a lot of companies out there that could really benefit from this instead of just throwing more bodies at a problem. Yeah. Is it? It's kind of like the optimization and automation of things. But what do you do? What What do they do? Or so there were. I would say there were three different kinds of jobs. Um, one is to help design on a tool, right? Whether it's a project management, CRM, you know, what tool do we need? So I, you know, I would take in the requirements. If it was like, a, like for instance, um, a small CPA firm had hired me to, to find um, like a workflow management tool for them, which is specific to their industry. You know, so like I hadn't known what was out there. Like I knew the ClickUps and Mondays, which are robust enough that they can become anything. Um, but I did a bunch more research and, and they actually ended up with ClickUp because it's just cheaper and, and more flexible than the, the, the one specific for their space, which was like 10 times more expensive and stupidly expensive. Right. So the one kind of project is helping them decide on the best tool for their needs. Um, the second, if they already have a tool and they just don't know how to set it up. You know, they know they, they they picked a tool, they tried to use it, it's not set up right, they don't know how to use it, no one's trained, it's just not doing what they want to do. So I can come in and like, especially for the flexible ones like the clickups and the codas, you kind of need to have like a systems mind and be able to look at it and set up the structure and then train people. 
And then the third is just like the the automating and optimizing connecting tools, you know, like a lot of like HubSpot to ClickUp or HubSpot to Monday or, you know, just other things like emails to whatever project management to Slack, that kind of thing. Where, where do you think or or why do so many or not so many, why do some companies seem to get kind of bogged down in this and not make progress? It feels to me like some companies really do really well with the optimization and automation of workflows and they can remove people, they can streamline, they can get more done with less people. And then others seem to like, it tends to like overcomplicate things for them. What are they doing wrong? And and the, the, my first exposure to this was, this was many years ago now, it was probably 15 years ago. I was in at Microsoft being trained on project management by the head of projects at Microsoft and they had banned Microsoft Project for all employees. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm like, lit for, I'm not even kidding. Microsoft employees were not allowed to use Microsoft Project. They oh would only, right? They only used Excel to manage all their projects. So that was, that to me was a good example of, of like software, not necessarily, this was again a long time ago, but how do they go wrong? How do companies go wrong with, what are they doing wrong that takes them, you know, to overcomplicating things instead of streamlining? There's probably a couple of reasons. The first one, I think, is that there isn't one person to own that or the right person to own that, you know, because if for a tool like that to work, it needs to be cross-functional. It can't just be silo, right? It can't be just finance or just marketing or just like there needs to be something cross-functional. Okay. And if that's the case, like you need someone who everybody can like for for the project purposes report to, right? And someone who like, even if they have like a functional role for terms of the project, their job is like a one and to kind of like connect and, and see the bigger picture. Um, like if you just go in there and start throwing things at it, it's it's mess. It's it's mm. almost worse than everyone just writing things down for themselves because right. you won't know how to find it. And the worst thing is like I, I see this so often where people like they hear great things about a tool, they sign up, they jump in. And then like, you know how first impressions are really hard to break? Yeah. You know, they they like mess it up for themselves. And then it's like this uphill battle to try to convince them that it's not the tool, it's just the way you were using it. So let me show you a better way. I, I heard a great saying years ago from Simon Sinek, who was on our board way before he did his famous book and TED Talk. Simon was on our board back in 2004 or five. He said, a shovel doesn't dig a hole. The, 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 the shovel is merely a tool. And if you don't know how yeah. to use it, you know, you could bang people over the head with a shovel. It's not what it's meant for. A lot yeah. of people don't get the training in the tools. I think you mentioned, yeah, they don't have the one person that owns that project or doesn't own the, the, the tool. And then I think of other ones that just seem, I, I love that you chose ClickUp because of the simplicity. I think of two software programs, um, Salesforce and, and Infusionsoft, Ooh. right? They're horrible. Like, yeah. I, People literally use Salesforce and then they have to hire full-time people just to defuck their organization. And then um, Infusionsoft has gained the nickname Confusionsoft because people, literally, people it's just so complicated to use something that shouldn't be that complicated. Yeah. So how do companies, if they're going to be choosing software, let's say that they're not hiring a workplace consultant and they want to do it internally, how do they choose the right software to, or should they get a software consultant to come in and help them or work? you know, a workflow consultant to help them? A lot of these, a lot of these um, softwares, like the ClickUps and the Codas and Monday, like they have a lot of educational material. Like on yeah. YouTube. 
you know? So if you, if you give someone like this, is you know, this is part of your job, like make, you know, make a recommendation, spend the time, you know, put up like an MVP just so that like a few key, key people can play around with and then start bringing in more people. Like that's the way I would do it. Um, and you have to do it simultaneously. Like don't, don't shut down what you're doing. Obviously business has to go on, um, but test this out on the side. And then when you have enough buy-in, you know, create a plan of how to like migrate. Most of those like modern tools make it really easy. You know, like you export and import and then just structure. So that's what I would recommend. Yeah, I found a tool years ago called Captera that the, um, it kind of compares all the different software products against each yeah. other. Are there any tools out there that you like that that are kind of software comparisons or workflow comparisons? I know there's Captera and there's a few other like comparison websites. I just generally go in and play around with myself because like yeah. it's you don't really know it until you're in there playing with it. <laughs> I do love the whole like going on YouTube and watching some of the videos because it's almost like if you watch the videos and they're teaching, you're going to see yeah. if it really does work for you and if it's simple or complicated just from what you see, right? That makes a lot of sense. Most of these tools also have free trials and a lot of like templates, mm. you know, like I know ClickUp has a whole template library. So, you know, you can sign up for a free trial account and download a temple template that's, if not exactly what you need, close and that, you know, and then watch the videos and you know, learn a little bit how to like update it and test it that way. Oh, it's also the, the training component. I, I, I'm I'm astounded at the number of companies that will try to implement some software and then they won't train the people to use it. It's like, you know, it's like your iPhone. Like most people have never had any training or, or watched the tips that come up for every, like they have no idea how to even use it. It's like, what are you buying it for? Like, it's just a fancy yeah. camera and a, it doesn't make any sense. These tools can, can really leverage. So your day to day now, what are you focusing on um, in the day to day for you? What 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 are you where are you where's your leverage? Um, so right now, um, as I mentioned, we just decided to roll out EOS, so that's going to be a big focus for the next couple of months. Um, we were using um, so as I as I said, like I had recommended ClickUp, and we've been using it for. I guess now a year and a half. Uh, and it's really, it's really flexible and really powerful. And we have this one uh, database, like we call it the transaction list, which is basically all the relevant information on each search, like everything. And that was like the central, you know, everything that was like the go-to place. Now sure. the problem is ClickUp isn't a true database. It's very powerful, very flexible. You can even do dashboards and roll-ups, but there were things I, I couldn't give my CEO the, the roll-ups and dashboards she wanted. So I used um, Integromat, which is now Make, to push data from ClickUp to Coda. And Coda is like, you know, a competitor to like Airtable or Notion. Like it's super, super powerful. So I was able to give her all of that. And then I even built like a commission system on top of that and a bunch of other things. Um and I knew it was a little bit like a Frankenstein where like going into it, I didn't know the end result. So I kept band-aiding it and adding more features to it. Recently, um, I think it was just three weeks ago, I nearly like I, I, I was ready to jump out of the window because I was updating something in Make. And the way it works is like, you know, you, you have fields from one and you map it to fields to the other, right? So I had the, the coder fields and then I was mapping it to the ClickUp fields. Every time I hit save and went back in, all my map fields disappeared. Fuck. 
And this was like one of the like major, major like automation scenarios that was bringing in every new search and all the information I needed. Yeah. I, I tried it incognito. I tried it a second browser incognito. I was literally going to jump out of the window. I did not know what to do with myself. Like I posted in some of the like no code and automation communities just with anyone else. I submitted a ticket to like make support. And then I walked away from my computer because I just couldn't deal anymore. Long story short, they still haven't fixed the bug. They recognize it's a major bug. Um, They still haven't fixed it. And that was kind of a wake up call for me because I hadn't wanted to take the time in moving the transaction list from ClickUp to Coda for several reasons. One, it was a big job. Yep. Two, you know, like the CEO and others are finally using ClickUp. So I didn't want to like, you know, rain on that and stop that progress. Um, and yeah, and I guess th- those were the two main reasons. But that night, I-, I sent a message to my CEO in Slack making a case that I think it is time to bite the bullets. And finally, just like, we can keep using ClickUp for like task management. And we use it also for client pipelines, because our ATS doesn't allow us to invite external people. So we we share the pipelines to ClickUp. So anything external and anything task oriented, we can keep in ClickUp for now. But the transaction lists, we've moved to Coda. So this has been like a big project. I think Thursday, we're finally going to make the switch. Like I'm just reconnecting and re-automating a few things. Okay. Um, and then there's going to be other things I have to build on it. But I think that that I, I'm relieved that we're doing this because a lot, I hadn't even realized how many workarounds I had to create in ClickUp to do what I wanted and to push it through Coda to do what I wanted. So this is just going to be way more efficient and scalable because there isn't this handoff and it's not as vulnerable because I'm relying on a third party to push all this information. Well, and, and how, do you, how do you work with the CEO to know whether what they're asking for is actually what they really need versus what they think they really need? And what I mean by that is when they're asking you to create some custom thing that could be done just using the software if they knew how to use it. it like, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I, I if it's something that can be done, like I usually just you know, record a loom, or if I can, I get on a zoom and just show them how to do it. Yeah. Both she and the team, she more than the team, but, um, yeah, she definitely, you know, she's come a long way in like learning how to use ClickUp and wants to know how to use the tools. Um, and is, and that's why, that's also a reason why, like I said, I didn't want to like sunset ClickUp because I want them to use it and to to, feel like all the time invested was worth it. And honestly, the the transactionless dashboards and all that is mainly for her and I, you know, we're the main users of this. So like, and I actually embedded the Coda transactionless into a ClickUp dashboard. So they actually can view it there and not have to like sign into a third tool or another tool. Cause like, that's something I hear all the time, not another tool. So this way they don't have to go to another tool. That's smart. Now, I, I love that you actually mentioned that you're going to be um, implementing traction. And I think I would say that about 30 or 40% of our CO Alliance members use traction. And the, But I was intrigued to, to, to hear you say that you're actually going to self-implement as well. You're not going to work with an implementer. Why is that? And how did you make the discussion to self-implement versus to hire an implementer to help you with it? And, and I don't think there's I don't think there's a right or wrong, just more curious on, on the thought process. Yeah. 
Well, one is because as a as a previous workflow consultant, like I've implemented G- GTD and other systems. Like I never implemented EOS, but it's come up. Yeah. So um, I feel comfortable that I can do it. And, and, you know, the base camp was just like, what other tools do they have to like give me a little bit of direction? Because this is the first EOS full-on implementation I've done. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just honestly, you know, we're small. So I, if it's something I can do, like I don't want to, you know, like there are other places to use that money, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, one day we won't care, but right now we still have to care. No, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I actually think that in some ways, it's often it, it can be better to self-implement because it forces the team to really learn the systems in EOS. It's, I always call it traction by mistake. Traction is the book, the entrepreneurial operating system. EOS is what's covered in the book, Traction. Um, I think when you implement EOS, it's better for the management team to really learn each of the systems and then also to give them the ability to tweak them a little bit to make them your own. You know, whereas... If it's an implementer coming in, it's no fill out this form this way. This is like versus yeah. you already understand your business and you can tweak it a little bit. You know, you can take yeah. the DOS and tweak it. You can take the level 10 meeting and tweak it and make it your own. So I, I think that's really powerful. You said that you implemented GTD, getting things done. What, what, what did you like about that system and, and, um, you know, anything that you still use from that in your day to day? So I love, um, Indirectly, yeah, I, I sometimes still use GTD. I like the idea of there's like an inbox, get everything in one place. And then you basically just split it between, you know, today and long term and focus on today. Um, and I kind of, and I, I, I've used a version of that, whether it's in ClickUp or wherever I put my tasks, because otherwise it gets overwhelming. Yeah. And, you know, like, you don't want to keep it in your head. So having an easy way to just keep adding things to your inbox. And then the idea of like a project versus a task and like everything going on the schedule, like it just, it really, it just resonates with me. And I think it's, um, there's a reason it's still around, right? <laughs> there is a reason it's still around. Well, and he's done a good job marketing it. David Allen, I think was his name. So yeah, what, David Allen. how else have you grown your skills? I mean, you clearly are smart. You're a reader. You said you used to be a teacher. Where are mm-hmm. you um, working on your skills and what are you working on to, to stay not to stay relevant, but I think all of us every day have to keep working on our skills to stay ahead and to get ahead. W- what are you focusing on for your growth? Uh, so I guess it's threefold. I joined a bunch of communities, including COO Alliance. Um, ironically, I think I'm more I'm networking more now through all these groups than I did in person because it's just hard, right? It's really yeah. hard. Like you have to go places. And I love I love Slack for that. It's just so easy to like ask a question, get an answer, learn from others, you know, questions and answers. Like that's been amazing. Mm. I still read a lot. Like I'm more selective on which business books I read because just you know, like I find like when you've read like the great ones on a topic or two, everything else just feels like you know, I don't know, like a weak copy um, or imitator. But yeah, I still read. And then I take online courses, you know, depending on um, like I did the <laughs> I did the Rocket Fuel 101, you know, for the integrator online. Um, I'm doing like a, uh, a, a make simplified accelerator, which is just like more like in learn because Inte- Integromat went from Integromat to make and there are some changes. So it's like this online course to just like learn more of the nuances and like higher level automations. Um, yeah. 
And if, if something comes up, you know, that I don't know in the business, I research it, you know, take a class, read something on it. I, my husband used to joke, not used to, my husband always says one of my superpowers is change. Like I went from a teacher um, to a publishing operations professional. In between, I was a, a personal trainer for a while. And then I reinvented myself as a consultant when the publishing industry kept, like I just went through one too many reorgs and layoffs and was just done. Um, and it, that was like really a hard, I think that was the hardest because I loved being in the industry that made the books that I loved. But I, you know, you can love books and not be in publishing. So I just yep. had to like come to terms with that and be like, okay. So I, I don't know, like you just have to, I never, if you hadn't even asked me 10 years ago, um, I did, I wouldn't have predicted that this is where I am, but I'm really happy with it. So I think you just have to be open to what life in the universe sends and like open to like learning and opportunities. Have you have you ever dug into any of the um, the Harvard Business Review books, the HBR compilation books? Yeah, yeah. I have a um, a CEO that I used to coach years ago, who he would basically let's say he was you know working on a a quarterly planning meeting that was coming up next week. He would grab like the HBR book on quarterly planning meetings or planning meetings and read the ten articles related to it or. If he was firing somebody, he would like grab the HBR book on firing. Yeah, it was really intriguing. Like instead of just reading a book for the sake of reading, it was always attached to something he was working on that month or that quarter. And I thought it was really relevant. I find that so many executives create more work for themselves and distract, especially the entrepreneurs. I think visionaries and entrepreneurs are, are horribly distracting to themselves yeah. because th they're reading the next thing, the, the one that someone mentioned, the big shiny object that doesn't necessarily have any relevance to what they're working on at all. And if they could spend their time learning about what they're working on instead of stuff that then distracts the whole organization, right? Yeah. Um, I also like even rereading it as well. You know, like going back and rereading Good to Great for the fourth time, right? Is oh, wow. uh, It can be really powerful. It's like, oh, fuck, hedgehog concept. Yes, that makes sense right now. Or Flywheel, yeah. God, we need to go back and obsess about the flywheel. Um, yeah. There's some, I think there's some really good nuggets in there too. What about your team and your people? Do you focus on on growing their skills at all? I, I mean, I launched a course a year and a half ago called Invest in Your Leaders. So I'm kind of obsessed with growing my people's skills. Do you do that at all? And do you focus on that? So I have a very small team now um, up until I would say six months ago, like I said, I was the only non-recruiter on the team. Right now I have a part-time assistant um, who's in the Philippines and um, we have a marketing slash HR um, team member who, you know, like kind of like works hand in hand with both me and Paige, um, Paige on the marketing side and me on the HR. And um, we also outsource her to some of our clients who need interim HR services. So it's um right now she's not a she's not an employee like she's one of the ones and, and there are some other you know like team members who are probably going to convert to employees uh, within the next quarter or two it's part of also the EOS rollout um, and once we do that I think it'll be easier to to do so but in generally yes like I've managed up to forty people in four departments and I actually love like 
we were just, um, Paige and I were just talking about this the other day. Like the one thing I miss in a small company is like, I love developing team, you know, mm-hmm. my team and my people. Um, one of my proudest past moments was like when someone made a lateral move to like join my team because they loved the culture I had built. It's great. So yeah, someday, someday I'll be able to do that again, but we're kind of small now and very, you know, like it's, it's hard to do that when people are part-time in 1099. Yeah. So as, as we convert and grow, I look forward to doing more. To do that again. I want to talk to you or just, can you tell us a little bit about how you work with an executive assistant who is remote or fractional executive assistant who's remote and what kinds of things do you offload to them or how do you get them to help you? Yeah. So um, Slack and ClickUp are super helpful. You know, we communicate through Slack. I assign things to her and ClickUp. She's got some recurring tasks. Like part of, um, you know, there were some like checks and balances that needed to happen from Cl- in ClickUp because it was the ClickUp to Coda, which those are going to go waste um, with a new direct Coda system. But like I needed her to like fill in things, you know, anything that's really manual, you know, which doesn't need to be me, but just needs to have someone pay attention and double check and make sure it doesn't break. Um, I have her, you know, like we, we are using outlaw now for contract management. Um, and part of what we need to do is like upload all our previous contracts and add metadata to it. So I've tasked her with that. So anything, that anything administrative mm-hmm. and repetitive, um, you know, I teach her how to do it. You know, I'll do a loom for her. I'll ask her to document it. Like, um, I, I personally hate documenting. I know it's important. So my trick is that I teach people. I have the person doing it documented. So like right. that way it's documented. B, I see if they got it right. And and C, it's theirs. So, you know, they feel more vested and they their job is, part of their job is to keep it updated. Um, but it's been great. Like, we we... We do a weekly check-in. Like I'm really big on weekly check-ins with all my all my direct reports. Um, they know I'm available more than that, but at least there's one time a week where they can like bring, you know, longer discussion items. Um, and yeah, she's been she's been great. Uh, I was lucky to find her. She actually worked for another recruiting, uh, climate-based recruiting company, and recently trained on digital marketing and wants to do digital marketing for awesome. recruiters and I'm like oh my gosh awesome. I, I know it's like I couldn't have written a better description of someone I wanted and she's yeah. amazing all right I want to ask you one final question before we kind of do a wrap but can you give us some advice for companies that are working with recruiters what can the companies do so that you know it's kind of like the help me to help you the Jerry Maguire thing like what do companies do to set up the recruiter for the best success to help recruit for them and how can companies, you know, select which recruiters to work for? Because they're not all the same. Um, so to answer your first question first, um, you know, be very frank in what it is you need. And, you know, like the, you know, like the, the job description, the the geography, the experience, everything, you know, because and 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 do that and kick off, you know what I mean? So that they're they're not spinning their wheels and wasting time giving you candidates that are not what you wanted or needed or, or stated. But the flip side is also like be open to their input because they're the experts, right? Like they know what's out there, who's out there, what is what is um, competitive now or not. Like if you've hired them to help you, let, let them help you. You know what? 
you know, obviously you're going to be working with a person and there has to be a good fit, but Mm -hmm. you know, but if it, if it's something like, you know, like there, there've been a couple of times where people lost great candidates because they were really stubborn about like, no, 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 this is what we consider competitive and the person left because it's not, you know, so both be clear on what you need and open to like feedback on like what's out in the, the market right now so that, you know, you can both get to where you want as quickly as possible. Um, as to how to find the right recruiter, I would say like we're, we're different because like we're very niche, right? Like right. no one, someone isn't going to come to us unless they're a funded startup, a funded climate tech startup. So it's really, yeah, you know, there's maybe a few others in our space, but like, and you know, we're lucky that Paige has been in the business for like 15 plus years, you know, like she's a known name and as are some of her recruiters. Um, if you, I would say if there are recruiters in your niche and it's something, you know, like if you're just like a SaaS, I don't know that it matters, right? You just need some a recruiter who understands technology and can get you someone with the right deck. Um, but if there, if you're in a niche where there, there needs to be an understanding of like the environment and the context and the products and, you know, all of that and see if there's someone in your niche because you're, you're, you're going to have a leg up, right? Like you don't have to explain that. It does make a lot of success for sure. I think people miss that and they go with just the one that somebody else recommended to them too. Yeah. A horrible starting point. All right. I want to go back to the 21, 22 year old Karina. I want you to give yourself some advice. The 20, 22 year old, just starting off in your career. What advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today? Uh, don't get that MS in publishing. Go for that MBA out of the gates. Um, you can still love the books and do other things, but you don't necessarily have to start out in publishing as the production editor. Um, and do do the things that are, you know, do the things like finance and biz ops that are cross departmental, you know, cross industry. Mm-hmm. So that if if and when things turn topsy turvy, like you have, you don't have to retrain and prove yourself. Um, that it's easier to to make that leap from industry to industry. I love it. Well, and you've done it today because you're certainly uh, you've proven to be able to go into a role in a COO role in fractional CO. You can you can certainly industry hop now, but it sounds like you found a great one with EnterTech Search. So, Karina Mickley, the COO for EnterTech, thank you so much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.